God is definitely on the move this morning. You can take your seats. And already, some of what I feel God has wanted me to share this morning has already been said, but I'm going to say it again because I feel God is wanting to say something to us this morning. I believe, and I know Cookie's already said it, but I believe this morning that God wants to do a new thing within us. In Isaiah, it says, see, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. What do you see this morning? Just another church service or an opportunity for God to come and meet you right where you are at. See, he is doing a new thing. Can you see it? I want you to know this morning that God sees. He sees it all. He sees those that are weary, those who are broken, those that have turned their hearts away, those that are confused, those who are seeking. Wherever you are, wherever your heart is this morning, whether you are watching online, listening on a podcast, here in the service, God sees. In the Bible, it says, the Lord does not look at things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. This verse is talking about when Samuel is sent to anoint one of Jesse's sons to be anointed as king. Samuel sees one son who seems the obvious choice, but the Lord responds by making it clear that he is interested in heart, not appearance. God is interested in a person's heart. He is interested in our hearts. Even this morning, to everyone else, it might look like you have it all together, but God isn't interested in in appearance. He is interested in your heart. We heard from Dr. John Andrews a few weeks ago how on the first day of humans being created, when Adam and Eve was created, they were called to have God at the center. They were made to worship, worship meaning to put God at the center. That was on their day one, before they had done anything else. But as we look through scripture, How easy is it for people's hearts to drift away from making God the center? How easy can it be for our hearts to drift? We come to today's account where we're looking at Noah and the great flood. There is a lot that can be drawn out of this account. But today, I just want to focus on four verses You may want to go and discover more about this. You might want to discuss it more in life groups about questions you may have. But as I say this morning, I just want to focus on four verses and feel that God wants to move afresh on us this morning. The first two verses I want to highlight is in Genesis 6, verse 5 to 6. It says, the Lord saw that the wickedness of humankind was great in the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. 
And the Lord was sorry that he had made humankind on earth, and it grieved him to his heart. God was grieved to his heart on the wickedness on the earth, the evil that filled the human heart. It says later in the account that the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence, humans rebelling against God. Sin can be described as rebellion against God. Here we see God's great creation of humankind turning and rebelling. My understanding of scripture is that sin grieves God. Wickedness breaks his heart. After all, would he be a good God if wickedness didn't? I suggest not. But this is where our hearts are so important because it starts in our hearts. In Proverbs 4 verse 23, it says, Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. The state of our heart affects everything. Everything flows from our heart. What we do starts in the heart. The condition of our heart matters. The state of our heart matters to God. We are designed to have God at the center. Our heart belongs to him. We need to guard our hearts because I've seen in my life it doesn't take a lot for my heart to drift. There are times where we can be seen to be doing all the right things, but our hearts are not where they should be with God at the center. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Does God have your heart? The next few verses go on to say in Genesis 6, verse 7 to 8. So the Lord said, I will not blot out from the earth, I will blot out from earth the human beings I have created, people together with animals and creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But, but Noah found favor in the sight of the Lord. I am so thankful that I have the God who is the God of but. Our sin and wickedness that can fill the earth is no surprise to God, but God is a good God who makes a way where there seems no way. I am thankful that my God is a God of but. In other versions of this verse, it reads, but Noah found grace in the eyes of God. Noah found grace. God is a gracious God. It doesn't say Noah earned grace. It says he found grace. Grace, and, grace isn't something you earn. It is a gift from God, a gift we don't deserve. Grace means that through Noah, humankind was saved. And we go on to see in Scripture that Jesus once and for all, God made a way and sent his son to die on the cross for our sin and three days later rose again. It is through Jesus that we are saved and he is alive today. I would love this morning to share part of my story with you. I grew up in a Christian home. I am so blessed that I got to grow up in the environment I did. And I learned so much about God from my parents. At the age of three, I sat in my bedroom with my mum. I gave God my heart 
For me, at a young age, having a simple faith, it seemed obvious that God should have my heart. I always had a strong sense of God as creator and that he created me, so why shouldn't he have my heart? One thing, though, to know about me growing up is I always felt a strong sense of what I felt was right and wrong. I would be devastated and frustrated and at myself if I felt I did anything wrong. Well, one of the first times I remember clearly hearing God speak to me was when I was in year six at primary school. It's that year where you're the eldest in school and you get that extra bit of responsibility. They give you extra roles and responsibilities. I had earned the place of PE monitor way with one of my friends. Some of our duties consisted of making sure that the kits were all ready when teams had matches and also to make sure that the PE cupboard was kept tidy. Well, this came with a bit of added privilege because it meant we often spent longer in the PE cupboard playing with the equipment than we actually needed to. Well, it was a small room. It was full of shelves with loads of equipment all over it. And I remember very clearly on one of these days as we were in this cupboard, me and my friend, that she said to me, let's go, let's go and find our other friends and, do, and go and do something. I can't remember what she said to do, but I will never forget the feeling within me when I felt a sense of knowing I couldn't go. My friend, as she ran out of the cupboard, I had a little bit of an argument with God. It was as if I was stamping my feet. And in my head, I said, God, why can't I do what everybody else is doing? Why can't I go and do that? In that moment, I felt I heard God very clearly say to me, Natalie, it's because you belong to me. In that moment, I gave God my heart again. I don't know to this day what God may have been saving me from, but I know that God had my heart once again, my whole heart. But as I said, it is very easy to drift, isn't it? It's very easy for our hearts to drift. And for many years, within my teenage years, I let something into my heart that crippled me. And stop me from living in the freedom that God had got for me. I had let the circumstances make me feel like I wasn't good enough. And that affected how I viewed God. I felt like I had to earn God's love and did everything I possibly could to please him. But always felt like I felt short. I often was angry and felt weary with this. But then it came to the day where I opened my heart once again and received God's grace. I was 11 years of age and it was my first youth retreat. And I was in a meeting and I can't remember what was said. But I will never forget falling to my knees and crying out to God saying, God, I need you. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, would you help me? I remember one of the leaders who was actually the kids pastor at the time and my sister's best friend came and put her arm around me and I explained to her my need for Jesus and she prayed with me. 
I had heard about God's forgiveness. I had heard about God's grace. But in that moment, it had become in my heart. It was heart knowledge. And in that moment, I found grace. I received grace and went out totally different. I'd opened my heart back up to God. And a piece of scripture that has become so important in my life and explains my story is this. Ephesians 2 verse 1 to 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of air, the spirit who is now at work in those that are disobedient. All of us who lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift from God. Not by work so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he has prepared in advance to, for us to do. Yeah. It is by grace that we are saved. Not by works, but it is in response to that grace that affects what we do. What we do looks different because of the grace we have received. It is in response to God's grace that we do good works that he has planned for us. But grace comes first. That is something that God revealed to me in that moment that changed me forever, that grace comes first. It is by God's grace. It isn't by works. It is by God's grace. I know for you many of you this morning will have your own story of grace, your own story of where you received grace. And I feel this morning from the onset that God is wanting to remind us of that. He's wanting to remind us of the moments in our life where we have found grace. But again, the truth of it is that I found in my life it is so easy for our hearts to drift. It's so easy for my heart to drift. And even though we may have received God's grace, whether it be ego or pride, we can stop seeing our need for God's grace. Whether maybe it is that we trade in God's grace for religion, whatever it may be, we can stop seeing our need for God's grace. And I know at times I have been guilty of that. I wonder this morning if you would stand with me, church. Because I believe that this morning, God wants to present an opportunity to remind us of his grace and our need for his grace. No matter who you are, no matter what you may have done, wherever you are, God's grace is waiting for you to receive it. Maybe you've received it once before, but God wants to remind you that each and every day he has grace for you. That each day his grace is there. Who needs grace this morning? I know I do. I need it each and every day. 
And I pray, God, that you would forgive me for the times where I thought I could do it on my own. But God, knowing that I need your grace each and every day. I wonder, church, if it's you this morning that feel you need to respond to that. You need to respond to say, yes, God, I need your grace. I need your grace. Would you raise your arms with me in this place this morning? God's grace that is freely given, that he lavishes upon us. That it's not by works, it's by grace. That he would send his son to die for you, for me. Welcome your spirit of God in this place. in your word that you lavish your grace upon us. I thank you God that you lavish your grace upon us. I thank you Jesus that you died for us. I thank you that you made a way where there was no way. I thank you Jesus. I thank you Jesus. May we never forget May we never, ever forget. May we daily be brought to our knees knowing our need for you, Jesus, our need for your grace. This morning, God, I come before you and as I say, say sorry for the times where we have belittled maybe your grace and tried to work it out on our own, where we may have traded in grace for religion, whatever it is, Lord God. And I pray this morning, Lord God, as a church family, we say sorry for that, Lord God. And we pray, Lord God, that you, we would freely receive the grace that you have given us, that you want to lavish upon us, Lord God. And I pray, dear Father, that in that grace, Lord God, as we come before you and give you our hearts, Lord God, that we would see the broken hearts mended, Lord God, that we would see the miraculous happen where there is healing that is needed in this place, Lord God. I pray by the grace of God you would heal where the cycles of addiction may need to be broken, Lord God. I pray, dear Father, in this moment, Lord God, where we freely receive your grace, God, that you would break that cycle, Lord God. For the people, Lord God, who might be questioning who they are, Lord God, I pray, dear Father, 
that as we receive your grace in this moment, they would know that the only thing they need to know about who they are is that they are a child of God. That they are a child of God. And that's all they need to know. They are a child of God and belong to you. Dear God, I pray for people in this place that feel unlovable. They've never had a sense of feeling loved and they may look in all the wrong places to get that sense of feeling loved or to feel worthy of love. But I pray as we receive grace this morning that in this moment, by your spirit in the name of Jesus, that they would feel love like they've never felt before a love that comes from you, God. I don't know what their experience of fathers are, Lord God, but I pray that they would know you are the good, good Father, perfect Father that is never, ever going to let them down. I thank you, God, that there is freedom in this place this morning. There is freedom in this place this morning and we will lift our arms. We will thank you, God, because you are a good God. You are a good God, God. We thank you, Jesus, for what you have done for us. And we pray, Lord God, that we would never forget that moment where you intervened in our lives. You intervened in our lives and showed us grace, Lord God. Brought us to our knees, Lord God. Spirit, fall afresh on us. Fall afresh on us. We welcome you here. You are our King, God. King of our hearts. Church, God's grace, it causes us to live differently. Noah's response to grace was obedience that he went and he built the ark just the way that God had told him. His response to grace was obedience. Grace come first and then obedience. In response to God's grace this morning, I pray we would go out of here differently than we came in. And in the same way that Noah's, the story ends in hope with the rainbow and God promising that he would never flood the earth again. That promise. Our story is one of hope because we know the promise we have that Jesus will return. Jesus will return. And the Bible tells us to be ready. To be ready for his return. In Matthew 24 verse 7, we are told that as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. It is so important that we keep God at the centre of our hearts and are ready and not allow our hearts to drift. That God would be centre of our hearts. Today is a new day, church. It is a new day. And may we give God our heart, our whole heart. Our whole heart. Are you willing to give God your whole heart? Last night... As I was trying to get to sleep, there was a verse that God showed me and it was in Joel 2 verse 13. 
And it says, Rend your heart and you not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Rend your hearts and not your garments. So I looked at this, and the word rend means to tear into pieces, to split. Joel, the prophet here, was the spiritual watchman over Judah. And what was happening was where it says, rend your heart and not your garments, was that Judah were very good at putting on these services where they would come and they would rend, they would tear their clothes because that was a sign of intense grief and repentance. That was what a, an ancient custom that was sing, like that signaled the intense grief and repentance. But what had happened with Judah is they'd come and they were having these moments where they were tearing their clothes, but it meant nothing in their heart. They didn't really repent. They didn't really, their hearts weren't there. It was just emotion, something they went through. But here, through Joel, God is saying, render your hearts, not your garments. He doesn't want a performance. He doesn't want a performance. He wants our hearts. He doesn't want us to look like we've got it all together. He wants our hearts, because although man might look at the appearance, God looks at our hearts. He wants our hearts. And I wonder this morning, is it a time once again to say, God, have our hearts. Have our hearts, God. Have it all, because God is a gracious, compassionate God. God is a gracious, compassionate God, and I'm thankful, so thankful for His grace in my life. So right in this moment, as we allow God to do what only He can do, I wonder, is it a time for us again to come and give all of our heart, all of our hearts, knowing that we walk out of here differently? Amen. Thank you, God. Thank you, God.